But I kind of want to start off with this, this, this story, this idea. Um, I don't know how many of you, I know some of you have little siblings. Uh, some of you have little brothers. Some of you are babysit for little boys. And you know this, there's something weird about little boys. Um, they, uh, they love you, but then they punch you right? Like it's that weird thing. My son, literally when I, when I come home, he runs up, he puts his arm around me. He's like, I love you, daddy. He gives me a hug. Then he pulls back and he goes, hi-ya and hits me as hard as he can. I'm like, what do you, who hurt you? I'm like, probably me, but sorry. Like, like what, what's going on? Like he just does that. And I'm going, man, that really hurts. And I, I remember looking back on when I was, when I was smaller, like I used to always, like there's something about being a boy and you need to hurt your dad. Like, if you can hurt your dad, you're like, yeah, I'm the man, like that. And, and I used to think I just needed to do that. And so my dad, every time he wouldn't look, I'd just run and jump on him and, like, go in with the knee or the elbow, whatever that may be, just to, like, cause him pain or for him to, like, wince because I thought it was the coolest thing because my dad's a big guy. He's, like, 6'5", 6'6", he's 280 pounds. Like, I always thought he was this massive guy. So if I could cause him pain, it was great. And so my dad's response was this. He would take me, and he'd put me uh, on top of – a sheet, and then he'd roll me up in it. I don't know, some of you right now, you're, you're having the same experience that I did. Like my sister, my dad would roll her up and she'd be like, yay, this is so much fun. And then I would be rolled up and I'd just start freaking out. Like if I can't move my arms and legs, like some of you right now are thinking, yeah, like if I can't use my arms and my legs and I can't move them around, it just starts freaking me out. Like I literally can't stand it. I, I start yelling, I start screaming, and my dad's like, well, stop elbowing me. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then the moment he turns back around, I'm like, boom. But here, here's the idea behind that. I think for many of us, that's the feeling that we have in our hearts many times. Um, it's the feelings that we have when we're trying to figure out how do, we, how do we love God? How do we deal with the pain that's happened in our lives? And really, what do we do with the sin in our lives? Because what's happened so many times in Christianity and church, and I know many of you have, have been here, and whether it's been even a a parent that has done this or a grandparent or just a youth pastor that's trying to get across is there's been this idea that Christianity is about behavior modification. Here's what I mean by that. It's this idea that you become a Christian. Now it's like, all right, stop doing all these things. Like good Christians don't do that. Good Christians don't do this. Good Christians don't do this thing. And so it's all about stop doing these things. And you get to a point where you realize, I can't stop doing all these things. Sooner or later, you mess up, and you're like, what do I do at this point? Because if I confess it, everybody else is perfect, right? Everybody else is doing it right. What happens now? And then on top of that, there seems to be the shame for different sins to such a point that it literally has messed with some of you so much that you may be back in church right now for the first time because of how much it's hurt you. And really what I've seen so many times with that is with sexual sin especially. And you, you come into a youth group, you come into a church, and they've said things like, if you have sex before you're married, then you are, you're, you're dirty, or you're not good enough, or you're giving up something that you can never give back, and you're ruining your marriage. And you hear these things, and it's hurt you so much to your core that you've gone, well, if I've already messed up, then what's the point of going on? And there's a guilt and there's a shame with it. And I'll just say on, on this side, here's what's so tough. And even a, I was a youth pastor for 13 years. Here's what's so hard many times as a pastor. And let me just say this and you can look back and you wonder why they said these things. It is so hard sometimes to watch people coming in who are just cutting themselves, it seems like, with their actions over and over again. 
you see them in pain. You see them going through these things. Or you see them about to do something really dumb. And so you're trying to get their attention, and you go overboard, and you say things that just aren't true. You say things that hurt to the core, and they feel like they can't get back from. And really, you say things, and here's what the worst part of it is. That guilt and shame with that, it sounds like it's unremovable, but that's the exact reason Jesus came. Like, that's the exact thing that Jesus does, is he comes into our life, and he takes that sin, and he removes it from our lives. And so I know this. I know there's many of you right now, even many of you that have been in church your whole life, but on the inside, you're going, if someone knew what I've done. If someone knew what was going on, like you're just dying inside in that. And you're like, I don't know how to stop doing what I'm doing. But at the same time, you're so afraid if anybody knew what they would say about you. I mean, here's what makes me feel incredibly well. The apostle Paul said it this way. He goes, I know the things I'm supposed to do, but I don't do them. And this is the apostle Paul. Like this is the guy that wrote half of the New Testament. This is the guy that did incredible things. But Here's what we've got to understand. We have to have something to do with sin or it will tear apart our hearts. 1 Peter 2.11 says it this way. It says, Dear friends, I want to warn you as temporary residents or foreigners, basically, hey, you're going to go to heaven one day. Keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Your very souls. He's like, I want you to pay attention to those things. I want you to stay away from those things. But here's the problem and what happens so many times. We tend to torture our own hearts by holding on to sin, thinking it's what we have to do now. I, I did the wrong thing, so I have to feel bad about this. And so what we do is this, is we have this track playing in our mind, constantly reminding ourselves of everything wrong that we've done. In fact, sometimes we'll go to church and we'll hear a really encouraging message about God's love and these things, but we'll just, that track will come back up and it'll remind us and it'll say, hey, you're not good enough. You did this. You did that. And guilt becomes this powerful, toxic thing that we cannot get past and actually distorts everything in our present. And here's what happens with guilt. Lies start to come in. Lies come in so fast. You are going on with your life. You think things are going well. Then all of a sudden, lies come in. And Satan does this. He whispers these lies. He calls, it, calls him the liar and the murderer. He literally whispers, whispers lies that murder our hearts. They take apart our hearts, they hurt our hearts, and we get caught in a never-ending cycle. You guys have heard me, probably, if you've been here before, you've heard me talk about what's called the guilt cycle. And really, when you look at guilt, guilt and addiction are very similar to each other in the fact that they replicate themselves. Like, if you feel guilt and shame, it replicates itself. If you're an addicted to something, it replicates itself. And so this is what normally happens, is you do the action— guilt starts. Lies start to come into your mind that say, hey, you're not good enough. I can't believe you did that again. What if everyone knew? You feel like garbage afterwards. Then what happens is this. Because you feel bad, what do you want to do? You want to feel better. So you rationalize doing that thing again or something else that makes you feel good. So you do the behavior again, and it literally keeps going to a point where you sit there, and I know so many of us have been there. You're sitting in a place with a person in front of a computer, wherever it may be, going, why did I just do that again? Why do I continue to do these things over and over again? Guys, I just want you to know, you are not alone in that. That is something that has constantly plagued me in, in my entire life. In fact, I had people come up to me early on in ministry, and they said, hey, Hal, here's the deal. Your ministry will be defined by whether or not you do everything right, basically. They said, if you don't sin, 
and you do the things you're supposed to, then your ministry will flourish. But the moment you start to sin and any sort of sin comes into play, your ministry will die. And so what did I do? Of course, I sinned, but I kept it a secret. I didn't want anyone to know that I had done the same things that everybody else has done. I'm sitting from the pulpit telling teenagers, hey, don't ever look at porn knowing that I just looked at that earlier that day. You know, telling them, hey, you can't do these things knowing I have done the same thing. And if anyone knew my secret, they wouldn't accept me. And that's what's so hard about guilt and shame in this place. I mean, it's affected our entire life. I mean, you guys have heard some of Chrissy's story before. If you haven't, my wife Chrissy, uh, she was both molested and raped as a kid um, and didn't tell anyone. And the, Satan started to tell her this, that it was her fault that she caused it and all those things. And it came out five years into our marriage. And here's what her first thought was when she told me. He's not going to accept me anyway, so I might as well distance my heart, distance who I am from him, because he can't accept me for who I am. Let me just say this. So many of you in here right now are single. And even if you're dating, you're still single. You're, you're going that way. And you're thinking, man, I want to get ready for marriage as much as possible. If you don't deal with those things in your heart, you will constantly push yourself away from somebody you actually deserve. In fact, you won't believe you deserve that person, so you will constantly settle for something less. So what do we do with that guilt? What do we do with that sin? We've got to confess our sins. We've got to let God know, this is what's going on. I'm admitting it. I'm getting rid of it. Why? Because if you hide it, it only gets worse. I was going to ask this question out loud, but my guess is not many of you will want to answer this. Um, I was going to ask how many of you have gotten food poisoning, but some of you still during COVID are trying to throw game, and you probably don't want to raise your hand to that, so it's all right. I'm trying to, I just talked about some really tarred stuff. I'm trying to bring it back a little bit. Uh, so food poisoning is literally, if you've had it, which you don't need to tell me, that's fine. Um, it, it's awful. I've had food poisoning that was so bad one time that I passed out. Passed out on the floor, hit the ground. Um, my wife heard me hit the ground, but because I didn't scream, she figured I was okay. So I laid on the ground, uh, passed out, luckily woke up. That was a good part. And I woke up, had a black eye, all that kind of stuff from food poisoning. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but the, there's something you don't do to food poisoning. You don't medicate it. You don't take something to keep you from throwing up. You don't take something to keep you from doing the other side. Like, you want to what? Expel it from your body. You want to get rid of it so much. Here, here's why I'm saying this. Poison is like guilt. When you have food poisoning, can you think about anything else? No. Like, literally, it's your life. You don't care. Like, the best thing in your life could be happening right now, and you're like, I don't care. Get out of my way. Like, get away from me. All you're doing is focused on it, right? To the point where, what, what do you want to do? You want to medicate it. But what happens if you medicate it? It only prolongs it. Guys, here's what sin is in our lives. When we sin and we have guilt in our lives, we don't like it. So what do we do sometimes? We medicate it. We do things to make ourselves feel better, but when what should we actually do? We should get it out of our lives. Because once we get it out of our lives, we can actually do what God has called us to do. See, confessing our sin is like getting rid of the poison. It's letting it out of our lives. Unconfessed sin actually poisons our soul. 
And it's what the enemy used to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. So what do we do with it? One, we do this. We confess our sin to God. That sounds, of course, we should do that, right? First John 1, 8 and 9 says this. It says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. What does he say? If you do it, I will forgive you. Here's the reason why we do verse memorization. Because how many times have you confessed a sin and been like, I don't really feel forgiven. I don't really feel like God has done what he's supposed to do. The reason we memorize this verse is it to remind us over and over again. The moment we confess our sin is the moment God forgets it. The moment we let that out is the moment God forgets it. Now, confessing our sins to God is a good thing. This second part is way tougher. Is we need to confess our sins to others for healing. James 5.16 says it this way. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. See, we confess our sins to one another, one, so somebody knows. There's, it's amazing how it releases us when somebody knows, but so they can also pray for us. Whenever I'm standing up here and I have somebody come up to me and say this, I need you to tell you something that nobody else knows, I know we're about to have a breakthrough. I know we're about to have a breakthrough. And what I do is the moment they tell me that, I'm like, you need to find a good friend to talk to because I can't be that person for you. In fact, many times I will just say this to you guys. Depending on how you feel about it, many times what's going to happen during this message is some of you are going to have something on your heart right now. You're like, man, I just need to go tell the pastor. I would find somebody else, and here's why. Not because I can't handle it. Every time somebody confesses something really, really tough to me, they think from that point on, when I'm speaking a message, I'm looking at them. I'm dead serious. It's like one of those things, like, they, they will confess something to me. I'll be speaking a regular message or whatever, and they'll come to me at the end of the service, like, why do you keep staring at me? Is it because I've confessed that? Like, I'm not even looking at you, man. I'm looking at the crowd. Like, everyone else is dealing with this stuff. But here's what you want. You want someone who can listen, who can pray for you, and who can follow up with you. Like, I... I feel blessed that I went to college at a time of dial-up internet. You're like, why would you want that? Here's why. Because even if I wanted to truly look at porn, it took five minutes to see a picture. Like, seriously, it's like you hit it, and then it's like, literally, you guys have no idea about this. It, the internet used to load line by line. Like, and it would take forever to do it. It was ridiculous, and you would sit there, and then like half the time the internet would shut off, and you're like, ah, her hair looks pretty. Like, you just didn't know. You just, you just had no idea. And here's the reason. Like, I am grateful for that. But I still remember, I still remember, it wasn't like it was becoming a problem. It was just something that, you know, I was going, man, I'm thinking about it. And it starts to control your mind. And I was taking a trip. Me and my, a couple of my friends were taking a trip to Tallahassee to see some other friends. And as we're going along, I'm driving. It got kind of quiet because with guys, at some point, we run out of things to talk about. And one of the guys in the back seat says, so, how many of you guys looked at porn today? Literally, everybody was like, and I'm just sitting there driving. It's like, I, I'm paying attention to the road. You guys talk. You guys are bad people. And literally, from that point on, we had a very frank discussion about it. We talked about it. Everybody kind of admitted where they were at, what was going on. And for the rest of that year, we developed—this <laughs> is so bad. But it's just true. We developed our own language of checking up with each other. 
we would just come up and we would say something and that person would say yes or no and then we'd have the conversation afterwards. We had a text thread. Yes, we did have texting back then. And we would text each other and we would check up on each other. Guys, I can't tell you how freeing it was to have a group of people know the hardest thing I was struggling with. Literally the thing that would had the, had the ability to bring me down, literally put me in a place that I would have no ability to grow as a Christian. I had three guys in my life that absolutely knew what was going on. Guys, I, I want to tell you this. One of the biggest things guilt does is it makes you step away from anyone that could care about you. Makes you step away from anyone that could love you and care for you in these moments that you need it the most. I always see this. I always see this. People always step away from community for two reasons. One, guilt from a sin. Or two, they're dating somebody dumb. They're dating somebody with potential, which is always, they're a jerk, but they're really good looking. Um, it's always funny. I was like, it, would he still have potential if he was ugly? Oh, no, I didn't think so. Okay. Um, <laughs> But those are the only two reasons people leave. I feel guilty and the other side of it, which sooner or later you figure out. But but let me just say this. One thing guilt will always do and why it's so important to bring it out into the light is the moment you feel guilt is the moment you want to move away. And it's the moment Satan says, if they only knew. Here's the truth. They're dealing with it too. You have somebody else in that same group that's dealing with it. It's the reason we do small groups. Not, not that we do small groups so that that entire group that first night, you go, all right, guys, these are all the things I deal with. Please don't do that. That would be weird. And everybody's like, okay, cool. Um, so we'll pray for you. Uh, <laughs> you. You take a second. You get to know some people so that you can do that. See, I, I'll say this. So one of the biggest signs of spiritual maturity is the moment that you sin to the moment that you confess it. It's the moment that you mess up till the moment you tell somebody about it. If you want to live your life in a way with incredible freedom, the moment you mess up, you let somebody know. And you've got that person in your life. Because if you don't, what happens is the moment more, the longer it stays there is the longer Satan tells you lies. It's the longer you start to hear that same tape over and over and over again. Find someone you trust. And I'll just say this too, because I've seen this. When you feel really bold, some of you will feel this need to go, you know what? I'm just going to make a big social media post. Please, for the love of all that's holy, don't do this. Because here's what happens. You put it out there, and really what happens is this, is you put it out there, and everybody's like, hey, I deal with that too. Oh, we love you, blah, blah, and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of it, it didn't really do anything. It made you feel okay. Everybody else is going, wow, that's bold. We should go talk to them. They're probably not okay. But it's, it's not what we're talking about here. You're looking for a couple people, one person at least, in your life that you can be honest with. You would be amazed at the other people who need the same exact thing. So we go to God for forgiveness, but we go to somebody else for healing. We go to somebody else for healing. We go to somebody else to let it out. We go to somebody else to release it from feeling like I'm the only one that does that. We confess, and then we absolutely have to take the time to believe the promise that God has given us. Believe that God has forgiven us. Believe that he has given us grace in these things. Romans 8, 38, and 39. 
incredible verse. It says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that was revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of us need to make this our screensaver. Like some of us need to make this our lock on our phone. Because we need to be reminded every single day that despite the fact that I feel bad about something, God loves us more. God loves us more. And he will always be there, and he doesn't want us to stay in the bondage of the sin and the guilt that we feel. It's, it's kind of like this. I remember playing Monopoly one time with, my, with, my, with one of my friends, and we went around the board, and we went around, and the game was getting close. And one of my friends got to jail, like and was sitting in jail and all that kind of stuff. And what he didn't realize that everyone else realized was he had a get-out-of-jail-free card literally sitting right in front of him. Like, he just didn't see it. And in my family, in my world, we play for keeps. Like, we care about winning. Like, it's a, if I could steal that getaway jail, get away from jail free card, like, I would probably do it. Like, if, if you are dumb enough to look the other way, I'll, I'll take it. And so we're, we're not telling him. But we're going around. One time he goes around, ah, I can't, because you have to roll doubles, can't do it. Again, again, again. It's literally, it's driving him insane because while you're in jail, you can't collect rent. He's losing the game, all that kind of stuff. And we're laughing on the inside. He's like, why are you guys laughing? It's like, well, we just, we're not sure you're very smart. And he's like, what are you talking about? That's not funny. And we're like, but your game is, it's hilarious. And so we're just playing. But the entire time he's sitting there with that get out of jail free card. The way God works is this, and this is the hardest part, I think, many times for us as Christians to realize. All we have to do is confess, and literally God says, go the other way, go. He's not sitting there, all right, confess, now um, I need you to do these nice things. Um, I need you to go over here and serve this person. I need you to do these things, and then you have this penance that you have to do. God literally says, all you have to do is confess that sin, say, I'm sorry for doing this, and then we can move forward. And from that point on, he's like, we can talk. I will bless your life. We will move forward no matter what the sin was. It's called grace. We don't deserve it. We don't understand it. Nobody else truly can give it to us in the same way God does. But what will constantly happen in your life, especially as a young adult, is Satan will use it as a way to keep you from what God's calling you to do. Don't allow guilt and shame to be that in your life. Right now, if we could, if I could just have everybody kind of bow their heads. I just want that right now just, just to have a moment real quick. Just in this moment right now, if you have something on your heart that you know, it, it's something you're like, how you don't understand. I can't, I can't let this go. I still, have to, I still have to deal with it. I want you right now to let it go. I want you right now to, to talk to God and ask for forgiveness of that exact thing. God, right now I want to pray for this. God, I know 
I know the way that we hold on to things. I know we want, we think we need to feel guilt because of what we've done in our past, but God, I pray that we let it go right now. God, I pray also that right now, as we're sitting here, for many of us, we don't have someone right now. We don't have someone in our lives that we, we trust. We don't have someone in our lives right now that we feel we can truly talk to. God, I pray right now that you would bring someone to mind if we had that person there. And God, I pray if we don't, that you would show it to us in this next week. God, I pray you would remind us you would not allow us to continue to go through this life by ourselves. You would not allow us to hold on to the guilt and shame of a sin that we never meant to. And God, I pray that you would allow us to see that you just want us to live in freedom away from the shame and the guilt of our past and that you have moved past it and just want something better for us. God, I thank you that you give us incredible grace over and over and over again. And God, I pray that we would receive that grace in the moment that we need it. God, please don't allow time to pass between the moment that we sin and the moment we seek forgiveness. God, I thank you for all of this. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.